Good morning. This is Pastor Brent from Rochester Hills Baptist Church. You enjoy listening to Truth For Today, but today I'd like to introduce you to another ministry, Rochester Hills Christian School. RHCS is a K-12 private Christian school that features a full daycare. We minister to the students of today to help them to face the challenges of tomorrow. RHCS has strong biblical values, high academic standards, an exciting sports program for boys and girls, wonderful extracurricular activities, and excellent facilities that feature a full science lab, computer lab, art studio, and robotics lab. Call us today at 248-852-0585, extension 200, or visit our website, rhcschool.org. Good morning. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Truth For Today, ministry of Rochester Hills Baptist Church. Whether you're driving or listening at home or work, we hope that today's Bible message will challenge your heart and encourage your soul. Please visit us on our website at rhbchurch.com and be our special guest at one of our services at 3300 South Livernois Road in Rochester Hills. And now today's message from our pastor, Al Hightower. Acts chapter number 9. Jesus has risen from the grave. He has ascended to heaven and the disciples are busy about trying to reach their community and surrounding area and the world with the gospel of Christ. The Jewish leaders are not real excited about this. They're seeing many of those who followed their teachings turning to the teaching of these who talk about one who rose from the grave. And so there's a persecution that takes place. In fact, one of the leaders of the early church, Stephen, has already been put to death. Many more will soon follow him. And so the Jewish leaders, primarily the Pharisees, were very diligent and very zealous in their persecution of the Christians to such a point that they were scattered throughout the known world. One of these leaders was Saul, a man of Tarsus. Later he got saved, but by his own testimony, he said that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews, meaning that he followed the religion and the teaching as strictly as anybody. He was so zealous that uh, he uh, persecuted the Jews there in Jerusalem, and when he had done all that he thought he could do, he got permission to go to Damascus, where he might find some more who followed the Lord and persecute them. But on his way to Damascus, something amazing happened. He met the one that he persecuted. We won't go through the entire story of how that uh, the Lord struck him blind and spoke to him and sent him to the house of Ananias. And there uh, he got baptized and the Lord sent him about doing the work. But I want to just focus on the first six verses of chapter number 9. And so if you have your Bibles open, stand with me please and we'll read these scriptures. The Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, this way meaning followers of Jesus, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, 
he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I want to focus this morning on that question Paul asked. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, that's a good question. I think you and I ought to ask that question daily. Lord, what would you have me to do? You know, we're here for a reason. It's not a mistake that God placed us here. It's not a mistake that He allows us to have life and breath day after day. And so, if we're here for a reason, it just makes sense that we'd figure out what that reason was. Lord, what would you have me to do? Father, I ask your blessing on our preaching this morning. I'm so grateful for all who have come. There are many here for whom it was a hardship. And Lord, I'm just grateful that your people love you and want to be in your house on your day. And so, Father, we ask that the preaching service would be helpful. Maybe there's somebody among us who doesn't even know the Lord. I pray he or she would get saved. And possibly there are those who are saved, but they're far away from you, not doing right. God, would you just bring them back? Lord, I pray that each of us, regardless of where we are spiritually, might again ask this morning, Lord, what would you have us to do? In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's excited about the opportunity to to be more involved in squashing what he believes to be this outrageous cult of Christianity when uh, he, understand, he's a man of faith. He's not doing this out of maliciousness. He's not doing this because he's a mean guy. He's doing this because he thinks it's necessary to preserve the purity of his religion. And so he, he's a man who, who is very, very serious about what he believes and why he believes it. Do you know, you can be sincere and sincerely wrong at the same time. Just because a person believes something with all of their heart doesn't make it so. Here's a man who, uh, with all of his heart, believes that the religion of his fathers and their fathers is the way that will provide for him forgiveness of sins. But it's not because of his righteousness and it's not because of his good works. And so, even though he's very enthusiastic and very sincere, he is wrong. There may be somebody who's in this room this morning and you're expecting to go to heaven because you're a good person. Nobody goes to heaven because he or she's a good person. Because no matter how good you are, you're not good enough to be perfect. 
Some people all across our area, in fact, across the world, anticipate going to heaven because they're faithful in church. This church, or the churches surrounding us, or the churches anywhere in our world, are not sufficient to get you to heaven. And so here you have a fellow who is very zealous and very excited about the job that he's going to do. He's absolutely certain that he's right. When, boom, he meets the Lord. You know, it's amazing how the Lord confuses a lot of theology. And the Lord said, uh, Saul, why are you persecuting me? No, 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 get the picture. He's, he's, He's on his way to Damascus. He's stricken blind. He hears a voice unknown to him. He's he's traveling with a few other guys in his company and he hears a voice unknown to him who asks him, why are you persecuting me? And he says, uh, who are you, Lord? <laughs> he already knew. He's just making sure. <laughs> who art thou, Lord? And immediately he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Every person that Paul had, or Saul had persecuted up to this point was a follower of Jesus. It was the, the, the fact that Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the grave that gave such boldness to the disciples, that gave such authority to those who taught and preached in His name. This is what Saul was trying to squash. And so he said, uh, I'm Jesus. And immediately Paul asks the question. I keep calling him Paul because the Lord changes his name from Saul to Paul. Immediately asks the question. He says, Lord, what would you have me do? That's a great question. It's great because of the way that he addresses him. He says, Lord. Lord means master. It means the one who's in charge. It it, it means my authority. He says, Lord. Meaning simply that whatever is told to him, he's willing to do. You know, there are lots and lots and lots of people who've been saved who have never said, Lord, what would you have me do? Simply because we don't want him to be Lord. We don't mind Him being Savior because that means we don't have to die and go to hell. We don't mind Him being Comforter because we go through some difficult times. We don't mind Him being a friend that sticketh closer than a brother because sometimes we get lonely. But for Him to be our Lord means whatever He wants, I'll do. His priorities take precedence over mine. His desires are more important than mine. His will is more important than mine if indeed He's Lord. 
And so here's one, at the very instant he meets the Lord, says, Lord, what would you have me to do? It almost, if I'm reading this right, it almost implies that he's willing to do whatever God asks him to do. Well, that's scary, isn't it? It's like uh, Karen's doing some preparations, whether it be cooking or cleaning or getting things ready for company, or maybe she's doing all that because company left. (laughs) They did leave, praise the Lord. I mean, I'm glad that they got into their own house. That's what I'm saying. And sometimes just because I'm that kind of guy, I'll say, is there anything I can do to help? I'm scared to death of the answer to that question. Because if she says, yeah, can you take out the trash? No problem. Sure, do you mind shaking these rugs? No problem. But what if it's big? I mean, I wasn't asking to get that answer. But I knew that the potential was there. I knew that the danger was there when I said, uh, anything I can do to help? And so Paul says to the Lord, he says, uh, what would you have me to do if we were willing to ask that question? And I, and I hope your heart is such that you are. And by the way, before you ask the question, you need to come to the place where you've determined that He is Lord of your life. By the way, this is, this is an interesting thought. Not everybody is willing to make Him Lord. A lot of people want to run their own life and do their own thing and follow their own agenda and fill their own schedule. But, but whether you're willing to acknowledge Him as Lord or not, He still is Lord. In fact, it's very interesting because Philippians says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you can do your own thing, but you're not getting away with it. He is Lord. But but Paul says, Lord, what would you have me to do? If you and I were to ask that question, there's a list of what he would have us to do. Number one, if you're not saved, he'd say you need to get saved. You see, out of all the desires that God has, as revealed to us in the Bible, his number one priority is God wants everybody to go to heaven. The Bible teaches very clearly that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every now and then there's a theology that gets popular among Baptists that teaches that God predestined some to go to heaven and He chose others to go to hell. Can I tell you that's contrary to the Bible? The Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
The love of God is universal. The love of God is unconditional. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so if you die and go to hell, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. Would you ask the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? His first thing would say, you need to get saved. Why would He have you get saved? Because He loves you. And even though there are questions in the minds of some unsaved about eternity, there's no questions in the mind of God about eternity. God knows that those who are saved when they die, they go to heaven. And those when they're, who are not saved when they die, they go to hell. And somebody says, well, I just don't believe a loving God would send people to hell. God doesn't. He made every provision. He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose from the grave. Offer salvation as a free gift. And if you die and go to hell, it's because you rejected that gift. Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, He'd have you get saved. And if you've been saved, He'd have you to get baptized if you've never been baptized. Well, how do you know that? Because in Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received His Word were baptized. What is baptism? Baptism, first of all, it's an act of obedience. The Scripture says, repent and be baptized. You get saved and then you get baptized. And so it's an act of obedience. It's also an act of identification. You are saying, I have put my faith, I have put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that He died on the cross. I believe that He was buried. I believe that He rose again the third day. Now, you know, for us, baptism isn't that big of a deal. But can you imagine the early church? Can you imagine in a culture where you would be put to death for being a Christian. By the way, we have that culture all around the world today. Persecution of Christians is at, a, at an all-time high since the fall of the Roman Empire. But imagine for these people, getting baptized was a public profession that I am no longer an idol worshiper if they were pagans. I am no longer following the, the dictates of Judaism if they were Jewish. They're saying, I have become a follower of Jesus and immediately a target is on their back. And so it was a big deal for those people to be identified with that group of believers. But uh, even though, uh, at least in our culture, there's not the threat of persecution or death, uh, it is a big deal to be identified with the people of God. Baptism is identification with the Lord. It's identification with the Lord's people. It's identification with the church. You can't become a member of a Baptist church if you've not been scripturally baptized. And so it's identification. So the Lord says, if you've been saved, what would you have me to do? Get baptized. You know, it's interesting if we'll read on in Acts chapter 9, we don't have the time. Paul got saved. Guess what he did next? 
got baptized. Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, I've been saved. I've been baptized. What else should I do? Well, you ought to join the church. You ought to join the church. Now, in Bible times, it was a lot easier because you didn't have 57 different churches in every community. So you got saved, you got baptized, you were a member of the church. But nowadays, there, uh, there are churches on nearly every corner. Now I understand, you have different denominations, you have different philosophies within the same denomination, but the fact remains that, that, that the church is a big deal to God. I'm going to try that again, because there are not nearly enough amens on something so vital. The church is a big deal to God. Yeah, absolutely. The Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus said to the disciples upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're not a social club where we come and meet our friends each Sunday. This is uh, uh, the, the meeting place of the people of God to prepare to do the work of God. This is, this is an important place. And so membership is a big deal. You say, well, well then I, you know, I just don't agree with the philosophy and the direction and especially that pastor at Rochester Hills. I, I get that. Then find another church, but join a church and become a member. You say, well, what's the big deal about membership? Well, it'll do a couple of things for you. Is, is it, 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 number one, will help you to obey the Bible again, which evidently is a big deal. But number two, it gives you an opportunity for leadership. All these folks that teach Sunday school, all these folks that work the bus ministry, all these people who are involved in RU, they're, they're, uh, and uh, the youth department, and all these people in our Christian school, it, it's a ministry of the church. And in order to be a lead, in leadership in ministry of the church, you have to be a part of the church. So what's a big deal? Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, I'd have you get saved. I'd have you get baptized. And if you're not a member of the church or you're not faithful in the church that you are a member of, I'd have you join a church and get involved. You say, well, you think he told Paul all that? I don't think he had to because Paul got baptized, became a member, and got busy. Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, I've been saved. I've been baptized. I'm a member of the church. Lord, what would you have me to do? Uh, How about get serious about God? You see, all of our life in this world there's going to be a tug of war on you spiritually. There'll be a, a, a tug of war toward the things of God, walking in the Spirit, serving the Lord, doing right. But at the same time, there'll be a tug of war away from the things of God, away from faithfulness, toward worldliness, toward wickedness, toward carnality. And everybody in this room who ever tried to serve God, you know what I'm talking about, about that tug of war. And so, when you say, Lord, what would you have me to do? He'd simply say, uh, get serious about God. 
It's serious. Christianity is is not a part-time job. Serving the Lord is not a three or four day of work vocation. It's, it's It's a life. Lord, what would you have me to do? I'd have you to get serious. How do you do that? Well, you examine your life. And if there are things in your life that ought not be there, you repent, you forsake them, and you get serious about serving it. Lord, what would you have me do? Oh, okay. Well, I know I ought to get more faithful, but I just really... uh, Lord, what would you have me to do? Oh, really? Okay. We spend our lives trying to rationalize and justify what God has already convinced us we should do. And we struggle to find reasons why we can't do what we know we ought to do. Well, we have great reasons. Well, you know, I used to. Yeah, how's that work with your wife? Well, I used to be faithful to my wife. That ought to be good enough. Or, 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 or we say things like, you know, I, I, I work really hard. I deserve some rest. Hmm. Imagine our Savior on His way to the cross says, you know, time out. I've worked really hard here. I need some rest. We'll take care of this redemption later. No. And I'm not preaching against vacations. And I'm not preaching against uh, downtime. I'm just preaching against this lifestyle that says you work hard for a while and then you reach a place where you can just play. We're not, we're not here to play. We are until we ask that question, Lord, what would you have me to do? Hmm. Really? Okay. Lord, what would you have me to do? I, I, I think God would have us to read our Bibles every day. Amen. I'm, I'm sure that He would. And yet many people leave their Bible on the shelf and remember it on Sunday maybe and maybe not and use crazy excuses like, I'm just too busy. You can quote the television schedule. You have a lifetime membership to Netflix, but you can't find Habakkuk. Lord, what would you have me to do? I think it would be good if you prayed. Thank you for tuning in today for Truth For Today, the ministry of Rochester Hills Baptist Church. If you would like this message in its entirety, please visit us at rhbchurch.com or phone us at 248-852-0585. Please join us again next week for Truth For Today.